Exponential Trust Times is the unique AI channel of trust that offers an innovative formula of mentoring at scale for youth people from all around the world. I'm Dr. Lobna Kari, Executive AI Strategy Growth Advisor and Digital Transformer for Fortune 500 and 440 for more than two decades and the President of AI Exponential Thinker. Humanized AI is a unique fair opportunity to raise various perspectives about artificial intelligence and the mysterious unknown future in times of exponential technology. And our guest today is George Tilesh, president at Fee Institute in California, former chief strategy and innovation officer for Ipsos Global Affairs and co-author of the book Between Brains. I love the, by the way, the, the title, and we will talk about this. But before that, welcome to the show, George. Lovely to be here, Lovna. Thank you for, uh, for, for being with us today. So during this conversation, we will share uh, different stages to talk about technology, AI, social media trends, uh, artificial intelligence, the future, uh, from your perspective and experience as well. But before that, let's start by the first stage, experience and journey. So we are curious to know more about your background and your professional journey in the space of AI and technology. I know that you work for more than uh, one decade, more, more, large more. So let us know more about uh, the project and your experience in this space. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm pretty old. So that's been uh, closer to <laughs> 25 years now. Uh, so first of all, one disclaimer is that by education, I'm not a technologist. So I, I landed on the technology scene relatively by accident at an early stage of my career. I'm um, originally a lawyer and an international, international relations expert. And, uh, but my, one of my first jobs with the European Commission was already in the field of entrepreneurship and innovation. And that basically determined my path going forward. So. I worked with startups uh, very early on around 2004. I joined Microsoft in 2008. Um, and, and that was my, my first role uh, in the public interest technology realm, uh, which, which became very much defining to the further stages of my career when I understood that, that technology has to serve the common good and the public interest. And um, that gave me the ethos that is the, the, my main driver uh, up to this very day. Um, I moved to the U.S. to the Silicon Valley 11 years ago and worked a few years uh, with TechSoup Global, which is the technology, the biggest technology social enterprise in the world, working mm -hmm. with, uh, I think, 800,000 nonprofit organizations in the world. Um, and then uh, just leading to this very day, uh, so how I came from technology to innovation and from innovation to AI, um, Around 2015, uh, I joined the community at NASA uh, in Texas at the, the Johnson Space Center, which congregated the, the leaders, innovation leaders and chief technology officers of the biggest companies and, uh, and the federal government. So it was a very much cross-industry and cross-sector effort led by uh, the person who was the chief innovation officer of NASA at that time and who became my co-author in the book later. And uh, I think that was the, the turning point for me, uh, which means that there, in 2015, there was the first time when, when there was a very tangible breakthrough 
both from industry, venture capital, and politics in the field of AI. And uh, we heard a lot of uh, rosy pictures from, from many of the people who, who came on stage. But in private conversations with the same senior executives, uh, they were much more open about their personal fears as consumer citizens, parents. And, and that was the time when Omar and I looked at each other and said we should write a book about it. But basically, I'm not a full-time author. This was something that, that we worked on for many, many years. But currently, I, I feel many, many roles. I mostly work with governments these days, so with the US federal government, uh, sometimes with the European Commission, uh, the government of Dubai, uh yeah. the world economic forum so i'm 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 mainly specialized right now in public interest ai and all the different subsets of it uh namely being ai ethics ai policy uh, the impact of ai the social economic impact of ai the future of work uh, and these kinds of topics the geopolitical aspects of ai so so these are the fields where i'm I'm very active and I also work with a number of big corporations, uh, mostly on the ethics and the strategy angles uh, of, uh, of AI and I do that on all continents. So I reside in Silicon Valley, but I'm, I'm working all over the world. Which is great. And, and you, 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 you mentioned Omar uh, that you write with him uh, the, the, your new book, your common new book Between Brains that address many topics about AI from a societal perspective and also um, the AI impact in, in various industry. Um, so unfortunately, we cannot go through all these uh, uh, huge amount of information and knowledge, but let's uh, uh, have a little bit exclusive insight about this book for our audience. Sure. So beyond what I've already mentioned, I think our main driver with the book was that we, we noticed a, a certain lag and a certain discrepancy uh, between the reality of AI and the expectations of AI. And on the other hand, we, we found that the main narratives in the world uh, are very much radicalized and very much polarized, very much the same way as our word is very much polarized. And, uh, and the information that uh, that we are gathering right now is uh, is usually as as public opinion is very much polarized around AI and 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 the, the sheer strength of AI is actually very much contributing to that polarization but but it's mo mostly due to uh, the media models right now so we wanted to strike a balance I think that's that's probably the most distinctive part of our book that that we wanted to have to give a balanced opinion to the public. Uh, what to get prepared for. And the other mission I would say is that we wanted to uh, pick a little bit of a fight with the mainstream Silicon Valley narrative that <laughs> something inevitable is <laughs> that something inevitable is coming. And uh, the only thing you can do is, you know, to become cyborgs or revere our new AI masters. Uh, we wanted to give it back, give the decision back uh, to citizens and to society. Uh, I think there is, it's still true that there's a, there's a shortage of movements in the world, like bottom of movements who wanted to discuss AI. It's still a, some kind of an ivory tower uh, in the hands of technologists and to a smaller extent, politicians, what's happening in the, in the realm of AI. 
And the information is not very much accessible to citizens, first of all, because it's full of jargon and of course it's super technical, but we wanted to make it a, a lot more accessible to the public. So we were focusing on, on digital citizens who may not grasp you know, the intricacies of a neural network uh, precisely because they have not been trained to do so. Uh, still, they, they want to be prepared and they need to be prepared to the actual impact of these technologies on their life. And the third thing that was very important to them in the book, I would say, is to focus on the present we, and um, you know, the very near future. Uh, and there are two reasons for that. One is that uh, we found the, the narrative of artificial superintelligence, which is very much capable of capturing uh, human creativity and imagination, but also hijacking it from the imperative of focusing on the present and the ability to, to, uh, to manipulate it in the present or to, you know, to, to formulate uh, some kind of a, a vision around the present of AI. So one of our biggest statements is that it's not the future. If you're talking about AI only in the future tense, only in the super intelligence tense, we lose our ability to influence the present. And, and uh, the other reason is of course that, you know, whatever data I'm putting into a book that is published in 2020, it's not gonna be true half a year from now because of the exponentiality of the technology. So we wanted to grasp this moment in time and enable the reader, enable digitally informed citizens to actually act and think. And um, you, 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 you address many an industry. I mean, you are uh, talking about AI in many industry. Um, my point is how you choose those industry. I, I'm sure that you, uh, you, add, you, you cover many of them, but for sure it was a choice, right? So why you choose those industry particularly to, to highlight in this book? Well, without, it's probably a question for Omar because he was industry. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So it was it was a little bit arbitrary, and of, but of course there was a lot of uh, uh, truth behind it. So uh, the industrial part was mostly driven by the interests and perceptions of my my co-author Omar, mm -hmm. who had a lot of personal experiences through his NASA exposure. Uh, to these many industries. Of course, we didn't cover them all. Unfortunately, we couldn't cover them all. Yeah, that's why I'm asking uh, the question. The very yeah, I, I think that was mostly the personal uh, interest and exposure of my co-author, the, the ones we have chosen to finally cover. And of course, uh, the other reason why was that we were focusing on where there is already tangible uh, outcome. I, I, we, we finished the book right before the pandemic. Uh, okay. And of course, the healthcare aspects of, of AI are, uh, are ones that have been much more prominent during the pandemic. So we, we, we were focusing on some of the industries where, where we thought that we, we should not necessarily talk in the future tense, but in the present tense, where there is already a, a significant impact. Of course, there could always be more. And uh, based on the essentially transversal nature of AI, this is something that, that will be probably uh, a lot longer list in the second edition of the book. Yeah, uh, between brains and many, yeah. So between Sorry, brains, can we stop for a moment because- Yeah, sure. 
Can we change this just pause for a moment? I, I have to put the dog outside, sorry. Puppy. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, just what I was fearing. <laughs> it's okay. You, you, you uh, tell me when you are ready. It's okay for me. Because we, the studio will oh, yeah. work with this. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, let's move to the second, third questions. So between breaks, answered many questions, but also asked deep ones about the sustainable future. We retain one of them uh, that you said, and I mentioned, is AI really going to change everything? And why do some people assume that AI will either lead to fairly, fairly apocalypse or a glorious utopia and not something between? I like these questions. That's why with the editorial team, we, uh, we, we keep it uh, same. Uh, and we are curious to know if AI uh, change or will change everything. Uh, I believe it will change most aspects of our world. Uh, and it's mostly because essentially it's a transversal technology. Uh, it, it is in its very essence, it's built into it, that, that it will embed itself into industries, technologies. Uh, we also argue in the book that uh, AI and the other exponential technologies that sometimes are on the same list in the in the public mind like you know nanotechnology or internet of things uh, virtual reality actually ai will be the brain behind all of them so they are not on the same list they are not parallel but ai will be the brain behind so i am very much convinced that it will change the game and i i really think that ai and that's probably not just because I'm, I'm not a technologist by education, but I, I see it mostly in the context of power uh, and AI will be the primary source of power in the 21st century across all industries, all aspects of life, all, all aspects of society. I very much believe that. Now, just to reflect on the part that you called out, like why do we have these polarized narratives uh, that's probably because we like these kinds of extremes. We, 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 we like <laughs> apocalyptic thinking. I mean, you know, that's, that's how the human brain is wired. The human brain, yeah. Yes, but, but I think that our mission and personally my mission is, to, is not to accept these kinds of extremes. Uh, and, and, and to show that, that we actually have the force to act uh, to create scenarios that are some, somewhat in between. And just to be a little bit more radical in that regard, I think that based on the present fragmentation of our world and different societal systems cohabitating this planet, uh, I think it is very much a possibility that different AI visions and different uh, societal models that will be powered by certain types of AI and developmental directions of AI will coexist in the world. So it's very much a possibility that, you know, there will be extremely negative uh, dystopic applications of AI and certain societies, especially certain authoritarian societies 
will adopt a version of AI that will create mass surveillance and you know dwindling uh, personal freedom and uh, and the superb uh, concentration of power that has never been uh, possible before in human history. But at the same time, I see a lot of seeds uh, in some parts of the free world, especially in smaller countries, actually, where I think that that uh, due to relative isolation or or uh, high level of public welfare and guarantees of uh, human rights uh, and personal convictions on defending these rights, there are models uh, possible which can act as, as a very positive scenario. When AI will serve the benefit of citizens, it will create excellent uh, governments. It, it, will, it will power socially conscious and economically and environmentally conscious industries. So my bottom line is that these scenarios can actually coexist. And I, I think uh, to a certain extent, they will coexist on the planet. But now they are in under formation. And unfortunately, and this is the warning uh, of our book, unfortunately, currently the bad guys are in the lead, just to oversimplify things. So those who started using AI uh, to nefarious purposes from my own personal standpoint, and by which I mean, you know, military and disinformation and cyber terrorism, uh, and just power concentration purposes, instead of enabling purposes. Those guys have been taken the lead in the neck in the last few years, and this is our time to step up and to change the balance of the game. And this is why uh, people, I mean, uh, citizens uh, around the world need to understand more uh, either the bright side, uh, amazing bright side of AI and technology, but also, unfortunately, some risk and some threat that can um, appear more and more in the common uh, in common decades, unfortunately. But this is a balance again, and it's a, a it's a, a choice. It's a choice of people to 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 get involved with and learn more and and, and discuss and share their idea and know more about and and, and uh, educate their community. I think this is why we are doing this podcast and all the show uh, within the exponential trust times. Now let's move to the next stage of the magic of technology. So from your experience, how do you define AI? Oh, I have so many definitions. Uh, and actually, actually, one of the leading thoughts while I was writing the book or while we were writing the book was that we do not necessarily want to force one definition on the reader. Uh, I think we could produce a lot more value by understanding the different definitions of different people, you know, I, and I mean that both geographically and geopolitically or by industry, uh, because we are in a, in a Tower of Babel type of a situation uh, regarding these definitions and without understanding what certain people, certain leaders see into it, uh, we will never really get to a, 
a globally acceptable vision. So that's one of the biggest barriers, for example, like, you know, you, you see a lot of articles and papers in the world that, that AI ethics, the subsegment of AI ethics is very much dictated by, you know, the global North right now and the way the global North is being uh, composed and the problems that the global North is defining for the rest of the world. And they, I, I think that's, that's very much uh, dangerous as a path, but, I'm not trying to shake off your question. I will, I, will certainly, I will certainly give you a definition of myself. So my definition sounds like artificial intelligence is the journey of creating machines that think and learn. That's my definition. And let me explain why. <laughs> So one of the crucial problems of, uh, of AI development is that I think most of the, the audience will know that you know, artificial intelligence was born in the 50s. So actually we have 60 years of history behind us. This is not something new that was not created by Silicon Valley venture capitalists. It was born in labs uh, you know, by theoretical mathematicians uh, in the 50s. So what I'm trying to say is that those people who, the, the early AI scientists, who by the way, for a long time were the pariahs of the computer science field and now became superstars in the last five years, but, but let me not digress. Uh, they defined this ultimate goal of AI being able to emulate, replicate human intelligence in a machine environment. And here are the dangers of that. Uh, first of all, a lot depends on what verb are we actually using, like emulation, replication, uh, full simulation. Uh, a lot depends on that because if you think about this whole debate about artificial general intelligence or super intelligence, uh, which in my humble opinion are very closely related and there will be about two minutes between the two. Uh, what, what, what I think is that uh, it, it set a lot of the, the goals in a way that was very much utilitarian and it inevitably created certain ideologies and certain forces of economy and politics that somehow targeted the replaceability of humans with machine intelligence. Uh, that, was, that was somewhat implied uh, in the definition. And the other thing was implied is that, that chasing of you know, human equivalent machine intelligence, I think. And that was not necessarily an imperative you know, from the beginning. It could have taken many, many paths, but we have chosen to go down this path and once the developments of computer science match, it, match the needs of you know, industry and match the needs of the military, then it became something like an explosive concoction and it became suddenly, suddenly very much popular and that kind of uh, you know, inevitable force the way Silicon Valley defines it. So, so these are this is the problem of definitions. This is this is the one of my one of my pet peeves is that the way you define uh, directions 
you are confining yourself onto a certain path, either willingly or accidentally. And I think that one of the, just to go back to uh, your previous question, uh, I think we have a vision deficit in the world regarding AI. Uh, when I was talking about, you know, the bad guys leading or the bad guys having a certain advantage right now, what I meant was that in my humble experience is that somebody who has, who has the clearest plan, a more defined plan, a more defined vision will win in the end. And currently, the free word, again, in parentheses, uh, is not having a very succinct vision that is a match for an authoritarian scenario uh, with AI. I think that's, that's the biggest shortage is that we are in catch-up mode. The democratic community of the world is very much in a catch-up mode right now. And uh, our best efforts are going towards, you know, codes of ethics, what uh, some people take seriously, uh, but the owners of, the, of uh, AI development take a little bit less seriously, I would say. So we, we need to come to a, to a vision conclusion and we have to involve the citizens in building that actual vision because that's the other problem, this, this ivory tower vision is that, that we need, you know, the children, we need, we need society uh, to actually envision that kind of future uh, that would be driven by AI. That currently is a very hazy picture and the best we can do in the realms of AI policy is try to put, you know, regulation to stop something that has immense power, uh, but regulation does not necessarily mean vision or does not necessarily convert to vision. It's more like, a, you know, a stopper. Uh, <clears throat> so, so this is where my problems lie. Sorry, that was a long answer to a very simple question. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's great to, to, um, to hear uh, more about your thought about this definition that you share. Uh, for me, for instance, I keep uh, saving the same uh, definitions about AI that was uh, chaired by John McCarthy, who is the, the father of AI, right? Uh, and I had the privilege mm -hmm. to meet him a um, long time ago <laughs> when I was PhD. And it's, it's, it's just magic when you speak to the ones who create the science behind AI and all what we see now as bubbles. But uh, we are just so far from the power of this science and technology, really so far. And what you talk about visions, I, if I understand from my perspective, the people who are creating technology today, who so are less than 1,000 around the world, they have a great vision. They have a great vision, a very clear vision about uh, the future. Uh, because when you work on technology and you create it, you know the power of it. And you know also you have a vision, you have a trajectory. Uh, and, and believe me, it's just amazing. But again, we need to keep uh, people safe in the world. And that's why we create those podcasts in order to highlight the other sides. But anyway, so the second question is how you perceive the virtual and digital new world. And do you have any concern about the digital universe that you are, we are start living on more and more after COVID-19? Well, I, I spent most of my professional life in that realm. Uh, but of course, I have huge concerns. 
uh, huge concerns. I, I I may say that. Um, well, first of all, you know, if you are referring back to uh, like early science fiction and cyberpunk literature before the internet actually became something used by the people, uh, cyberspace was something that had a clear entrance and a clear exit point in the imagination of the science fiction authors. And I think one of the dangers, one of the biggest dangers of the world that we became is that this entry and exit is, is, it doesn't exist. It, it completely surrounded us. I would even say that the digital took over from the physical. At least that's my reality. And you know, hopefully some of the readers have a different type of reality. But, but I think that, that you know, in, a, in a few years, uh, while there were head-to-head or parallel worlds, uh, it became a digital, the word of digital supremacy. And uh, us as physical beings, biological beings, uh, social beings uh, have been forced to play by the rules of the very few who are the gatekeepers and rulers of the digital realm. And that's a very concerning thing, I would say. Of course, you know, I am, I'm, I'm working in that world and, and in, a, in a certain way, I'm, I'm helping to, to change that world and to, to change that uh, digital paradigm. So don't call me a Luddite or, you know, I'm not, I'm not that type of person, but, but I think that we are in a state of imbalance uh, and uh, we have to regain our human equilibrium because in the last few years, the, the digital intrusion of our lives have taken a level that I think is very much unhealthy. I don't really see uh, a path back that would be not a break or a rebellion or that kind of a thing. So there is no decent way back. Uh, and, and that in my mind, it means that there should be a very conscious rebalancing act that we have to call in the world and, and to gain uh, you know, leaders and citizens uh, to, to actually be part of that rebalancing act. So I'm, I'm very, very, very much concerned. I'm very much concerned about social media. I'm very much concerned about disinformation, uh, political polarization, uh, the disappearing middle in opinions, the disappearance of uh, sanity, rationality, human decency from our conversations. Uh, I think that our, our social fabric is very much in danger and, and it may have already taken a mortal wound in my humble opinion. Uh, and when, I'm, when I talk about the near future, so if we stay on this trajectory, and let me be a little bit of a you know, devil's advocate here. Uh, <clears throat> if we are talking about social media, which is the most, probably the most prominent digital intrusion topic uh, these days, uh, most people who are critical of social media, one of the main arguments is that the end goal, or sorry, the, the worst possible outcome for social media is that we are becoming fragmented 
politically, and there will be, you know, two camps fighting each other, and that, that will be an Armageddon type of a setting, which to a large extent is true. But I think that the biggest danger is not that. And I'm actually mentioning this at uh, this book, and and uh, and probably there are not that many people talking about that aspect. But but I think that the the micro-targeting aspects of social media right now, and I'm talking advertisement model behind social media, is capable with AI, is capable of creating uh, solipsistic universes for everybody. So you can actually, you can create, if you're only window to the world, is through your social media feed, you stand a chance of losing the ability of sharing the realities of people around you because your feed is very much personalized. Uh, I think there are very much, there are lots of dangers of personalized feeds combined with the, with the algorithmic push to stand divided. So if you're losing your ability to connect, if you're losing your ability to have shared facts and shared realities with others, and that goes beyond you know, disinformation and, and yeah. plain disinformation efforts, it's actually about the, the capability of having shared realities with, with the other person. With more than 50,000 young people empowered in time of pandemic and uncertainty, we are grateful to our remarkable guests with exponential experiences and from great organizations such as Amazon, World Economic Forum, Harvard, Google, Berkeley, and more. Thank you to our great audience and keep tuned for this new episode in the unique AI channel of trust by AI Exponential Thinker.